Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 2018 film, The New Romantic. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that elements of the plot are discussed and might be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. So, obviously, before we get started, I should... Um, I have an announcement to make, dear listeners, which is that I am I am leaving this podcast so, to join a new podcast called Simply The Independent Podcast, and I hope that you will all <laughs> come and join me and support me in this as I work towards our extremely non-specific goals of a better podcast than this. I am looking forward to um, your first racial faux pas 50 minutes into the creation of your new podcast. Yep. And then uh, 15 minutes after that, we'll have a sexism one as well, just for good measure. Yes. That's, um, uh, that's how it works. Uh, I, I am very excited to see how you get on with your fellow um, new podcast uh, creators from Big Boys Do Cry yeah um and i'm looking forward to that cross podcast cooperation and it definitely won't be incredibly difficult going forward yeah big boys do cry sponsored by turning point uk (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised that i haven't talked about them yet because i'm really really obsessed with them it's um if you if you don't know turning point is one of those weird it started out in the u.s as one of those weird like pro-Trump right-wing movements that spend a lot of time complaining about non-existent threats to free speech on campus and whatever other bullshit. Um, and now there's a UK offshoot, which has a, a hilarious Twitter account where they're just tweeting like weird sort of half sentences and things that don't make sense going, capitalism good because of this, socialism bad, Rawr, socialists take all your money, Rawr, and stuff. And like, they're just getting absolutely roasted on Twitter and I'm very much here for it. So you're... you. You don't think that they are the height of political discourse then, Paddy? Well, I mean, our political discourse is is really in the gutter, so they're somewhere in the middle, I guess. <laughs> I'd say that Turning Point is pretty far towards the low end of the good political discourse spectrum, to be honest. They are absolutely dire. They're shady as all hell. Their creator has a tiny face on a big head, which is something you should never trust about a human. Never trust someone who has a really small face on a really big head. Yeah, a, or a big face, with t- a big man with tiny eyes. <laughs> that was the joke <laughs> on the Mighty Boosh, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Turning Point are terrible, and it's hilarious seeing them having a massive meltdown over fake Twitter accounts. Yeah. In- an interesting thing I saw today is that although they try to... Um, they are aimed towards being the voice of young conservatives um weirdly enough all of their ads and everything like that are targeted at the boomer generation almost as though they're not actually trying to galvanize the youth but instead just reinforce uh right-wing ideals in people who are already quite old that's the thing everything they're saying is just aimed at boomers which is why a lot of people are all up in their mentions replying okay boomer which is very good that's because that's what they are yeah but it's but the the language that they use is all like they have a victim complex and it's all like 
oh, socialism is dominating discourse or student politics or whatever. Or it's just like no, they don't even mention relate it back to student politics. They just keep saying, oh, we are the victims here. We need a turning point. And it's like you are very much championing the status quo and the dogma. You know, like a genuine turning point would be if people actually turned around and said, actually, let's not carry on down this path. Actually, maybe like capitalism isn't so great. Actually, maybe we should think about rethinking some of this stuff so that people who are, you know, vulnerable actually get given a leg up and don't get left to die. You know, it's stuff like that. That would be a true turning point. And, and that's but, the funny thing, isn't it? That, that they, I, I find it fascinating when right-wingers try and uh, claim victimhood. Um, because it happens all the time and it's really strange is that um, the the sort of primary voices of particularly American right-wing politics in Britain it's slightly more nuanced than that but in in um, in, in American uh, right-wing politics uh, the spectrum for right-wing discourse is either full-on victimhood we are being oppressed or gloating over the fact that other people are in a vulnerable position and there's no middle ground it's always either we are yeah. entirely dominant, you are entirely under our boot, or you need to stop victimizing us. There's nothing in the middle where there actually a debate can happen. And I think it's a kind of um, fostered um, fostered debate strategy almost, because there's no real way to combat it by entering up, entering into a debate with people who only have those two uh, binaries. You can never really have a any kind of engagement where they don't come off, at least in some way, appealing to somebody. Yeah, it's really, really strange. I'm just on the Twitter now, and one of the tweets today says, Turning Point UK is the consequence of decades of political oppression from the left. Just what a fucking weird thing to say. Nobody is oppressing you. There's no such thing as political oppression. There's oppression. And in terms of political oppression, um, there is a case to be made that there hasn't really been a left-wing government in this country since 1979. Yeah. you know, where's that? Where's that political oppression coming from from the right wing? You know, yeah, you're really so oppressed, you weird people. <laughs> so yeah, very, very strange. And you know, it's taking my mind off the the rest of the the, the weirdness of politics and how just how awful it is. So you know, who knows if they're going to be making films anymore after Brexit? They, there's going to be an amazing film about the independent group. That's what I'm counting on. Yeah. Um, so, so I find it interesting because I, I, I actually do have a fair amount of time for Chaka Anuma. Um, I think he's been quite good at championing the anti-Brexit cause. Yeah, and and I find he he strays a little bit too far towards centrist, um, like centrist free dad. free market stuff for comfort. But in general, I think he he clearly is an intelligent guy, and I don't think there's enough intelligent people in politics at the moment no. um but the whole thing has been an absolute failure and and there is a case to be made that um that the conservative party have despised each other for decades and never have the same level of infighting and and i think it's, it's quite obvious that you know you've had these three breakaway conservative mps this time around and that and that comes after a very very long time of infighting and a lot of very awful abuse for some of them as well um, whereas with the Labour Party, it almost seems as though the moment there's some kind of shift, um, they're just quite happy to break apart very, very easily. 
There, there's no yeah. real resilience there. And and so I see, you know, the Labour Party is in very dire straits. Um, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the, it's, it's the most unpopular government we've had in however many years. And they're still very far behind in most polls which kind of says quite a lot about how the general public feels about the state of the, the Labour Party. But is this breakaway faction the right way to deal with that? I'm not entirely sure that it is. No, actually, I don't think it is because they're not really... All they're offering is maybe a bit of bit of coherence around the fact that, yeah, maybe we oppose Brexit, but it's like, what can you actually do practically as a consequence of that? Maybe you can force a general election because May's power is weakened and then, oh, look, because they're of our kind of two-party system and the way that it works, there'll, there'll be, just be a hung parliament and this whole ridiculous cycle will go on and on and on. So there's nothing that they can do really to stop it. It's just an indictment of how truly fucked and just dated and weird and terrible our whole political system is. Genuinely, like, it needs to be canned and rebuilt from the ground up. But how do you do that? Well, the problem is that nobody wants that. None of the political parties, apart from the Lib Dems and UKIP, would... Uh, would foster a kind of uh, shake-up of the way that our political system works because Labour benefits from it, the Tories benefit from it. Um, yep. Neither of them would likely ever see a full majority ever again. And so that's why um, Labour's been very resistant to any kind of change to the way that our political system works. Um, and obviously the Tories are very, very hesitant to do anything towards that. Um, so it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because... We want more choice, but at the same time, because of the way that our first-past-the-post system works, more choice is kind of an impossible thing. Yeah. So, yeah, to put it to put it quite lightly, we, we are truly fucked. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, until someone actually has a backbone and says, you know what, this is undemocratic, we're doing this. Yeah. Which is never going to happen. <laughs> um we're we are stuck with an incredibly undemocratic system um where absolute charlatans on both sides of the aisle can run riot and basically lead the country down a path that's not for the benefit of the people yeah but at least we have films right but at least we have films they're things to distract ourselves from the horrors yes yes exactly so what so films such as the new romantic which is canadian so just you know when when I think about how awful everything is here, I, I think about Canada and I'm momentarily soothed. I think about Justin Trudeau and his lovely face. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, neoliberal as he may be, Canada seems to be doing just about okay. I don't know what's going on in Canada. Really, well, they've got, um, they've got um, Ford, haven't they, in Ontario, yes. who is a problem. The ghost of Rob Ford. Yes. Um, but he, he is a problem. The the um the what what is he now? Is he the governor of Ontario? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Canada's not all not all sunshine and peaches. There's some bad stuff going on there, and they still do have issues with their workers' rights in comparison to this country. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, at least they don't have an absolute weirdo as the leader of their country. No. Doug Ford has definitely never smoked crack cocaine. <laughs> yeah but i'm glad that canadian independent cinema seems to be thriving from the look of things or independent ish cinema um because this film was i think it got like maybe a limited release in canada but didn't really get a release in the u.s or um 
Oh, certainly over here, it was not didn't get released at all. So it was released at South by Southwest, which makes it incredibly hip. I I understand. That is where the hip movies go. Yeah, that's it's, it's the the hip fest. The hip fest. Um. So I didn't really like this movie very much, Paddy. Yeah, it was kind of a weird one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I I I wouldn't say that I disliked it, but it kind of weirded me out, and I wasn't sure about it. I thought that I appreciated that it tried to examine you know contemporary subject matter and to look at a concept of a sugar baby as they call it i appreciate that it tried to do something different but it just ended up being kind of flat and weird didn't it yeah um i to to cut down to the core of my issues with this movie this film shouldn't have been a romantic movie yeah um i think the subject matter it deals with is fascinating and it is a it is a real issue um that I think deserves to be explored um, in fiction, but I don't think necessarily the trappings of a romantic comedy fitted the subject matter very well. Um, and I, it kept having these jarring moments where it was kind of indie rom-com when the reality of the situation and, and the kind of themes it was trying to explore really didn't gel with that, with that kind of genre trope. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It kind of it then went really hard for the tropiness of it at the end um, when she got together with the guy who um, the actor's called Brett Dyer and I knew him from Jane the Virgin. Did you ever see that show? No, I never saw it. Um, we watched the first couple of seasons and it was very, very good. Um, and then they killed off his character and we got upset by it and wouldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right, okay. Um, it's a show that me and my wife liked very, very much, and it is very, very funny in the first couple of seasons. I don't know. It's, I it, think it is still going, and it's not great anymore, but um, it was good. And he's, I think he is quite a good actor, even if he does look a lot like a kind of someone who would have been in the background at one of our house parties at university. <laughs> he's got that kind of look. Yeah, he, they... I don't know. I was I was involved in student paper stuff at university. Oh yeah. And the idea that people were putting this much effort into it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, you were. Did you used to write reviews? What was it you did? Yeah, I can't so remember I, I, I used to write, I was I was strictly um, a radio only guy. I used to write music me. reviews. Um, which the was paper good people were strange, and the TV people were bankers. So the, ra- <laughs> the, the radio people were the best. So I, I liked, I liked the, I liked the TV people. The TV people were fun, um, for the most part. But um, I, I'm being unkind. <laughs> and the radio people were obviously lovely. Um, and and yeah, so I wrote for I wrote for the paper for I think all of my undergrad, um, doing music reviews for them, um, and. Yeah, I and you know we, we you had these discussions with other people from different teams and things like that, but the sheer amount of effort that was being put into the paper here in this movie, uh, that would never really happen. And that kind of in depth, um, the the sort of the sort of love life column that would be a thing that would happen definitely, but the the in depth sort of gonzo journalism side of things would never in a million years have been sanctioned because these are not trained journalists. These are <laughs> students at a university and you would not get them going undercover into the sort of sugar baby lifestyle. Any editor at a yeah. student newspaper, no matter how much pot they'd smoke that day, would not say, yeah, go and do that. That sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah. They're like, I call them about sex and 
who you've shagged great yeah but it would never be there'd never be any depth to it it would just be this some sports some book reviews some people who you know like went to review a local band down the club or ever and annoyed them you know or whatever or some people telling the story of how a famous band were rude to them when they parked their tour bus out the back of the venue on campus (laughs) you know stuff like that there's definitely that last one (laughs) yeah um yeah, and and I I think the amount of effort that's being put into this student newspaper um really surprised me, particularly that she you know there may well have been criticisms about the fact that her romance column actually didn't include any romance, but the key takeaway here for any student newspaper would have been she's enthusiastic about writing her own column and she's good at writing, so it doesn't really matter if the content in it is really entertaining. The fact that you have competently written enthusiastic stuff in your newspaper would have been enough to someone to go yeah fine just keep writing it as long as we've actually got the the words in the paper ready for the next deadline yeah and as if there's like an editor guy who's going around being an editor as if it's his job all the time yeah exactly. or maybe there was i don't know there was not no people people did it on the side whilst they were doing other stuff and yeah, generally exactly. it was just, hey, you you know how to put words together in a way that isn't awful and you make you meet your deadlines, that's good enough for us. <laughs> I think I remember that yeah. the biggest talking points whilst we were at university for the paper were getting rid of curly fries. <laughs> oh that God, was a big the curly one. Fries. The curly fry debacle. Um yep. and there was cocaine. I remember there was cocaine. People were there was some kind of study that came out about the amount of cocaine that was being found on on campus, and there was uh, Virgin uh, broadband not having very good service. And of, <laughs> of the four years that we were at Exeter University, those were the three big talking points that the that the the um, the what was it called? Expose, wasn't it? It was expose. called Expose. Yeah, uh, those were the big talking points that Expose sort of covered. And this was before there was sort of nationwide student media stuff like the tab, which is awful, and like Unilad and all of this like weird stuff that sort of connects universities on social media. None of that really existed back then, did it? We had Facebook. Yeah, so so the tab kind of appeared, I think, in our last year, didn't it? It started oh, really? digging its way in, but not very not very much. Aside from that, there wasn't really anything. You had Facebook. Even even the 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 university website teams weren't really doing much. Because I remember in the last year, I did a bit of writing for that, and and even that wasn't really a big thing. It was still very much about the the physical newspaper that got handed out for free. Which is kind of cool in a way that there was you could contribute to print media. You know, I don't know if universities are even doing that anymore. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder, actually. We'll have to go back to Exeter and see if we yeah. can pick up a copy of Expose. Yeah. I, I will be passing through there on the way to my cousin's wedding in April, so I might do that. Oh, well, there we go. Just go Check in. turn up on the campus as a 30-year-old 30, 30 guy. Like, hey, <laughs> how do you do, fellow students? <laughs> Hello, I am an Exeter student from <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's been It's been a long time. But yeah, so no, we're not saying that everything, every depiction of student media on film has to be like our own experience, but that's what we're saying. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just saying it it felt a little bit over the top, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, it was trying to, it was basically just a clumsy way to frame the sugar baby thing that didn't really work. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and and no editor would allow one of their trainee writers to go out and do this story, let alone egg them on to get more information about one of the people. Yeah, it's very yeah, very very weird. So yeah, it was it, the way it tried to set up for the things that it wanted to do just didn't quite work. So that when it it did the things that you could tell that it wanted to do and that it wanted to explore, you were just like. Eh. Whatever, and then at the and then there, like you said, there were the tropey bits that didn't really work, and it kind of the tone of them was as if it was trying to sort of poke fun at um, romantic comedy film tropes, but it also just ended, but it didn't really land, and it just ended up seeming kind of nostalgic for it in a way that was very very at odds with the sort of you know the the edginess and the the uncomfortableness of the scenes where she was with the the sugar daddy guy, which was sort of a bit well were interesting in some ways they just yeah that it was a a film of two halves yes yeah like an orange yeah like a game of foot sport <laughs> and and yeah so it was a it was a it was a weird film i i found the tonal shifts were very awkward um and you're right about the way that it sort of it tried to poke fun at romantic movies but at the same time it didn't it didn't have that same kind of playfulness as um, Set It Up, where Set It Up was very much um, showed its love for rom-coms through occasionally poking fun at them. And here it didn't have that same kind of tone. So when it did kind of make fun of the rom-com and then immediately double down on doing something very tropey, it just felt very awkward. Yeah, it's a weirdly lethargic film, isn't it? Like now, I didn't think of it this way until you you just compared it to Set It Up, which is a, a film that is that was made in the same year, but it's that is like light years away because it has energy and it has that kind of spark and the, the dialogue between them and they're always talking and the story is kind of always moving along. Where some some of the dialogue in the New Romantic was quite sharp um, and quite accurate, but the pace of it was quite languid. And it was, I don't know, something about it felt lethargic to me. Did you feel that? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, it's quite a short movie, but it felt quite a long watch. Um, and and yeah, it, it all felt a little bit flat. Um, there wasn't very much energy to it. And, and I think the, the, the cast did a decent enough job. Um, yeah, nothing I don't have a problem with any of the um, any of the performances. No, I think I think they were, they were all pretty solid. Um, your boy, Brett Dyer. Um, yep, as he will forever be known. I, I, I liked him and I liked the fact that he was the one person who brought up ethical journalism in the entire film by saying does and he... And it wasn't about games journalism. And it wasn't about ethics and games journalism which, uh, you know, got to love a bit of ethics and games journalism. Although... although... Also, his birthday is, is Valentine's Day. Oh, happy birthday for the other day, Brett Dyer. Yeah. We like Fe- you. February 14th, 1990. Speaking of ethics in games journalism, by the way, a little aside here. Oh, here um, we go. So a game is coming out called Anthem. Um, which, is it based on the Ayn Rand novel? It is not. Um, it is It is a game made by Bioware, which is a studio that made lots of very, very good story-driven games over the last few decades. Um, but they have made a much more action-focused multiplayer game this time around. And it hasn't landed particularly well with critics. Um, now, the vice president of Xbox came out today and basically um, heavily criticised the review scene and said, that um that 
uh, people should look towards new forms of review like streamers, which is a very dodgy thing to say, um, partly because streamers are often paid an awful lot of money by games development and and games publishers to hype up games before release yeah but also you "Mm." can't you can't coherently review something if you're playing it at the same time that'd be like if i tried to do a book review whilst reading the book yeah you're sitting there in front of a uh in front of a camera reading a book and going oh this bit's good yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's, it gets really good in a minute. Good in a minute. Oh, look! Look at this pa- passage. Look at this passage. Look, look, look. And then I'm like holding the book up to the camera. And this and is this is what I should do. I should get on Twitch. Here we go. We'll get pa- Paddy Johnston reads on Twitch. Um, and 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 I have a lot of time for streamers. I watch a lot of streaming and things like that on the side. Um, often when I'm doing other stuff, I'll have a stream on in the background. And some of these people are really good entertainers. But there is this. There's a divide between doing a critical review and being excited about playing a game particularly when there's still that gray area about people being paid to play a game before it's released yeah and if you think about that in other industries like um you know book reviews and everything of my industry which i know is a very is a very difficult industry to compare because books are old and fusty but if, if you get paid to write a book review no one will everyone will think you're a liar and a fraud Exactly. And no, yeah. nobody gets paid to write reviews of video games. So when someone writes a review, it is a, a um, unbiased, critical look at a piece of art. Um, and I generally, it just seems as though they don't like the fact that it's been getting bad reviews. And, and, and um, one, one reviewer missed out on a combo system in the game. And that's what's been heavily criticised by this vice president of Xbox. Um but in a way, that's actually quite a valid criticism because if a game is not properly teaching you how to play it, that is a failure on the game's part anyway. So a combo system is like when you get fries and a burger, but you also get onion rings as part of the same deal, right? Exactly. And this game was not properly telling people that they could get their onion rings. Um, and, and it's something that a lot of reviewers have come out in defense of this one review saying, well, actually, yeah, I only stumbled across this gameplay system it's not very well explained by the game itself. And that is a failing of the game. Games need to teach people how to play them. And if you don't teach someone how to play them in an engaging way or in a successful way, they should be rightfully criticised for it. Um, yeah. But it just seems as though this this uh, Xbox exec is getting a bit shirty about this game not getting a, not getting very good reviews when in fact there are much wider problems with it. And has he I, thro- thrown his games consoles out of the pram? He has. And I find it very uncomfortable that people are turning around and saying, hey, go to watch streamers instead, because it's not reviews that streamers often do. It's just hype and showing off gameplay. It's not a yeah. critical review of a product. And they they say the N-word and get 9 million followers. That's exactly. How it works, right? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how it works. Um, they have a heated gaming moment, which results in some kind of racial slur. And people jump to their defence because they don't know any better. And they also probably oh. have he- heated chairs because they're all rich. Because they're all rich because they're getting paid. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> holler- hollering for the dollar. <laughs> um, so so that's my little update on ethics and games journalism is don't be dicks to reviewers. <laughs> we are yeah. We are doing a very good job. And if we give a game a bad review, too bad. Deal with it. Yeah. If we give a game a bad review, maybe it's because the game is bad. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is <laughs> not pretty a thing much. you should have to say. But it's like, but also like, yeah, okay, like you, you know, you can see it from their point of view. They they worked hard, or they managed a team of people that worked hard to 
but get this game together and whatever. You know, one negative review doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad or that everything you've done is bad or that, like, you know, people aren't going to go out and buy the game or whatever. Like, you know, just get over it. There's always going to be criticism if you put a thing out into the world, if you put art out and games are art and they shall be criticized and received appropriately. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So make better games. That's that's what you should do. Don't moan about it. Make better games. Yeah. Um, but on <laughs> on streamers as well. Like, it's I still like I personally don't think I don't think I have ever watched another person play video games and got enjoyment out of it. But I saw I saw a tweet the other day that was like a dad talking to his kid. I don't know how old the kid is, ten, and he's like, "Why, um, you know, you're just watching people play the game. Don't you want to play the game?" And the kid's like, "Why do you watch sports, you?" and it's like you know, <laughs> it's, it's, this is it like to to kids and to the generation coming up this is their sports you know it's the same like i love watching baseball which obviously people think is some of the most boring stuff ever but it's like for kids if they're watching people stream and play games that's their baseball then great if that's something they can be passionate about that's where it's going and i think that's a good thing yeah i i have a lot of time for streaming i think it's really good fun and um I think some of the best people who stream and some of the best people who do like let's play channels on YouTube, um, they do have a lot of personality behind them and they can be very entertaining. Um, but I think there is that divide between entertainment and between, um, actual critical review, um, which I think people need to separate out. Yeah. And, and some people do fantastic video reviews, for instance. Um, but that's not the same as watching someone stream a game live and get excited about stuff every so often. They're not giving you a critical look at the product, at its failings. Um, and that's the, the big issue is, you know, you've got to take bad reviews. And if there is a critical consensus that your game needs work, um, that's not the fact that it's mean old critics. It's, it's them telling you your product's not good enough. I think the vice president of Xbox needs the wambulance. <laughs> he definitely needs the wambulance. <laughs> oh, just like um, a sugar baby, or not to be confused with an adult baby. That's something. Or very the sugar babes. Or the sugar babes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> the sugar babes or the sugar baby? <laughs> what came first, the sugar or the babe? Um, so, so this movie, I. It's got Hayley Law in it, who's someone that I really like. Um, she was she is in... the friend. Yes, yeah, she is the friend. And I thought she was a really fun character here. Yeah. Um, she is, she's in Riverdale, as is Camilla Mendes, who plays Morgan in this as well. So two people off of Riverdale. Have you seen Riverdale? I, I still haven't properly watched it, because I find it, a, I find it a bit too hokey for my liking. I haven't watched that much of it i watched the first few and enjoyed it and just kind of never went back to it because i was doing other things but what i have seen of it i really enjoyed i thought it was a really fun and interesting take on the kind of archie universe and on kind of comics in general and yeah, now it's kind of become its own fun like high school quite kind of weird quirky thing and i quite like it yeah i find it a little bit too hokey for me as it's not the kind of thing i can really get into which is fair enough but i i recognize that other people enjoy it and well done if you enjoy it. I, yeah, it's just not. But quite for but me. I think that this film actually has maybe been influenced by it a little bit because there's a weird darkness to it. Especially elements of the cinematography have a sort of weird, yeah, just a, a darkness to it that is a, and a, a tone that I can't quite put my finger on, but that is kind of similar. 
Right. Okay. Because um, I, I, I haven't watched enough of it to really see a similarity in terms of that between the two. I, I felt that um, that Riverdale had a lot more sort of um, stylistically going on, whereas I feel that the new romantic feels a bit more barren. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, there's there's something about it that that now now that I think about it has that kind of link in my mind. But yeah, barren is also a good word, and I think they. I don't know if they deliberately chose a town. They chose the town of Sudbury, Ontario, which I think is like it's not that far from Toronto, um, but it's not like a big city. It's it's a town, and they're like, oh, this is just a kind of small, boring town. But that didn't really have to be the case, and the the, the setting there, it didn't really feel like it served any point. Did you think? Did you think there was any point to it being set there? No, I don't think so. I guess it's just to give it a grounding in reality. Yeah which you know fair enough i think i think that's a, a a sensible move but apart from that i'm not sure if it really had that much of a focus on the on the overall film i just typed it into google maps and the picture that comes up is of a costco car park i mean you gotta love it but yeah it's it's far enough from toronto that it's like not round the corner but that's the nearest like big city oh no it's really far it's a four-hour drive okay <laughs> never mind then never mind <laughs> That's like we could probably drive, probably drive to Scotland. In that yes, time. yeah. <laughs> I know that it's a big place, but yeah, yeah. I always forget that Ontario is a massive province. It's as big as, in fact, it's. I think it's bigger than Texas. Looking at the map, Texas, like, Texas, yeah, which is like many <laughs> times. I, think I don't even fit- know why I said that. It's just a bit of immature <laughs> jokiness. Um. That's cool. You're trying to lighten the mood. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so you could fit the UK into Ontario three times over. So yeah, sorry, sorry, Canada. I Why would I, you? I though? do love you, and I. We don't want to spoil fan. Ontario with our horrible nonsense. No, can you imagine three UKs? Jesus, Ugh, one's bad enough. One. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this one's going to dissolve soon, but we don't want another one. Just let it die. Yeah. No, we don't need to come back. <laughs> Um, we should just sink into the sea and let the rest of the world laugh at us <laughs> so i don't want to be too critical of the new romantic because i think it it does some things that are quite interesting and i i think the subject matter is something that was really worth exploring in a film yeah so for those who, who don't know maybe the a sugar baby is the, the person who is on the receiving end of a a sugar daddy Yes, yeah. And and so um the the movie discusses the kind of uh lines of what what it means to be a sugar baby and um it it's weird because it's almost like it's not a um it's almost like an exchange of gifts for a relationship on the terms of the gift giver. Yeah. So it's saying he's not going to give her money. It's all about gifting. So that that side of it is kind of strange and quite different and unprecedented in culture and in terms of film depiction so that was, was good uh, but then one point she's like oh i'd need money for something and he's like oh well i'll give you the money but it's still it's a gift related to something and that element of it the gifting is explored but never you know you never really get to the bottom of exactly why it's gifting rather than just paying for someone's services although it's kind of implied that it's so it's not like prostitution i guess yeah, and and I think that's that's one of the most interesting topics to discuss with it, um, just in terms of the idea of a sugar baby in general, um, and and the movie kind of skirts around the issue a little bit and doesn't really delve into it. And I think part of the problem with that is the fact that the character 
um, of, of Blake, the main character in in the film, she's not doing it as a real attempt to live that lifestyle. the The entire focus of this movie is a fabrication that she's vaguely doing it in order to pursue it for a story for the newspaper, rather than actually going for that lifestyle. So, so I find that the this kind of synopsis of this movie is kind of a lie. Yeah, um, and then it it kind of sort of she she gets into it or whatever, or it just kind of keeps happening to her, and then it's like that's the thing as well. She's passive. All of this stuff just kind of keeps on happening to your, to her, and you're like, "Well, come on, do something." And it, it like even down to the the tropey rom com bits are all about the other guy pursuing her rather than her pursuing him in any way. Yeah, and and then I think I find that the romance isn't really um, deep enough for that to be an interesting story strand either. So um, although you do get a vague idea about the the sort of um, the love hate relationship between between Blake and Jacob um it's never really fully explored so so those moments where there is a little bit of romance between them kind of feel a bit out of the blue um because up until that point and 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 i think one of the issues is this film takes on a little bit too much so you've got the going after the uh 50 grand grant for winning the competition of of best student journalist um what they should have done obviously is cover the lack of curly fries that is the most pressing issue in student journalism um but <laughs> i didn't i don't remember seeing a whole curly fry it, no any, no debate over movie. curly fries in this movie but I, I i find that 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 was kind of picked up and dropped and that's supposed to be the reason why she continues living this lifestyle is in order to keep writing her piece about it yeah and to win a prize and to win a prize um but that's never really <laughs> properly engaged with you never really feel the stakes of that you never really feel the stakes of her getting emotionally involved in the lifestyle that she's living either that's because there is this whole thing about her just doing it for a story and the way that the work and the prize and all that drive to to write and to be a journalist was framed was actually more like a film like set it up where it would have been more appropriate for it to be like a kind of millennial early career thing rather than a student thing I, i don't yeah it wasn't like, why did she have to be a student? Why couldn't she have just been a woman in her early 20s working? It wouldn't really have made that much difference, apart from toga parties. Apart from toga parties, obviously. Um, toga, and, toga. And it, and it is something that, particularly in America, um, people have started doing, is is having these kind of um, relationships and um, and other kinds of, 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 of more direct sex work as well in order to pay for tuition and maintain a decent lifestyle whilst they're at university so that actually does happen and yeah. it perhaps would have been more interesting to see someone deliberately following that pathway out of choice to make money to receive gifts um to help yeah. their way through university i think that could have been and and addressing the issue much more directly i think would have been the better choice here yeah that's that's exactly right actually it, it felt like it was a sort of it was skirting around it almost, or it was a, a soft version of what could have been something a bit more gritty or very, very different actually about sex work itself. Maybe something a bit more sort of diary of secret diary of a call girlish. I don't know. That's like maybe wanting it to be something that it wasn't ever trying to be or wasn't supposed to be. But you're right that it maybe doesn't quite get there in terms of addressing the real issue. But it did still try to present that and to to look at something that is genuinely happening as a result of you know the economy and politics and culture and sexual politics and whatever yeah and and i do really applaud it for for talking about it because i've not seen another film that really explores this 
the the only other recent movie that I've seen explore sort of sexual politics and sexual identity in a similar kind of fashion is this film called Cam that came out on Netflix. I think it was about a month ago. Okay, I've not heard of which it. Which is a sort of psychological horror movie about um, a cam girl, so someone who um, ah, okay. does that kind of stuff. Um, and it more becomes a kind of um, almost supernatural element to it. But the way that it explores the industry itself um, is very interesting. And, and, that, and that's the kind of thing that I was really intrigued about when it came to watching this movie i thought oh that could be really interesting if they talked about it in a in a in a direct and and in-depth manner but i don't think it ever really reaches that point unfortunately you're right it's um the problem is that it's indirect about everything it's indirect about her character and her desires it's indirect about the nature of the the um sugar baby relationship although it obviously reveals it slowly in quite a good way um, throughout the film it still feels indirect about it at the end when it kind of all comes to a head and all you get is just this one scene basically of the the sugar daddy guy showing up and being like oh don't write about me or i'll i'll like ruin your name or whatever and then he's gone and then they're just kind of over it yes yeah and the guy who played the sugar daddy in this he looks, looks just like the basis from weezer well, yes, he does. But he also looks really familiar. But I had a look at what he's been in, and I can't really recognise anything that he's been in that I I have also seen. Or this at least nothing is... nothing that I've seen where I definitely recognise him from him. He's a he's an actor called Tim Sharp. And he's spelt Tim with two M's. With which two is M's. kind of sus- suspicious. <laughs> and so he's been in quite a lot. And maybe I've just seen one of these things that he's been in, but I can't for the life of me point a finger yeah. at where. He's been in a lot of things that I feel like I've probably skipped over on Netflix and not watched. Mm. But yeah, I, I thought his performance was quite good, quite um, quite competent. And he it was very good in the moments when he sort of flipped and it turned into a power thing. And that was the, the dynamic that you wanted it to explore more, where it was like, actually, is he just kind of... Does he have have this kind of power over her? How is it working and all of this kind of thing? And is it romantic when he shows up dressed up in and like asks her to go to a wedding with him um maybe it is for a moment but then it gets weird and it always gets weird so he he was good at kind of flipping between those two things i thought yeah i thought he was great i I thought well i thought the cast in general was actually really good in this film um it was it was more to do with the subject matter that they were given that didn't quite work but i think the cast themselves all, all did a really good job and and that that's why i was frustrated that there was this kind of romantic comedy set up dangling over it as as a whole over this film because the 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 aspects of the film where it explored the relationship between them was really interesting um you know where where is the line when she turns up at his place and he doesn't want to see her it's clear that there is this divide and it's like he's not an unattractive guy he's not too old and a lot of the people who enter into these relationships they they wouldn't have those kind of problems they're not necessarily people who have problems meeting people they're not people who are bad at meeting people or don't make good first impressions yeah so why do they choose this lifestyle rather than actually entering into a a true romantic relationship and he's a professor he's written several business books and 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 it's like it and it came so close to kind of talking about that about why people would enter into this almost business arrangement when it came to having what is ostensibly a romantic relationship with somebody 
Yeah, and again, it's still not quite clear why. No, no, and I, and I suppose there isn't really a, a definite answer about why this happens, whether it's a, a power issue, which is kind of what the film implies, or whether it's a, an intimacy issue, things like that. No, and I'm not saying that the film the film's job is to provide a definitive answer on that no it's no. not but but i the think fil- the film's job is to tell us a good story exactly but i think i think it could have explored what the potential situations could be more and 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 maybe com- some of that could have been you know if you're going to stick with she is a journalist following this story i think it would have been more interesting if she had spent more time with um with the girl she meets that is already living that lifestyle yeah but she was, I think, quite busy playing one of the major roles on Riverdale, so maybe yes, they didn't care yeah. much of the uh, much of the screen time. But she was good. Yes, yeah. So Camilla Mendes. When she first goes to her apartment, and there's a different guy there, and she's like, "He'll pay you to stay." And she's like, "What? That that like that kind of en- that en- point of entry into the world of the the sugar baby was good." Yes, and, at and that I wanted point, more I, of I was that. hooked. I was very compelled at that point. Yeah, I, I wanted more of that, and I wanted more of the relationship between the two of them, uh, between um, Blake and Morgan. I think that would have been very interesting to see, to see um, her experiences living with it as someone who seems quite happy living that lifestyle. Uh, that would have been really interesting to explore. Um, but you never, it never really goes that way, and instead, it's it's going for breakfast and then saying, "Oh, you also asked me if I have any siblings. That must mean we love each other now." Yeah, it's very, it's very, very strange. And yeah, there's the kind of once the when they get to the wedding and it's the other guy from earlier, and he's like, "Oh, have you seen Morgan?" In the back of your head, you're almost like, "Who's Morgan?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, that bit of the film that happened ages ago that's just kind of faded into the background." Yeah, that 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 story strand that's been forgotten about that bit, um, and 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 that I think was maybe the main issue here is it, it's always paddling, never going into the deep end this film yeah that's that's uh that's a reasonable thing to say i think yeah it's it paddles in the shores of lake ontario but doesn't dive in no <laughs> yeah um but but overall it was it was it was it was still interesting i think it, it's nice to see something talking about a different kind of subject matter yeah for sure and it, it you know it was nice to see and you know an independent film that is kind of billed as a romantic comedy that is doing something different for sure. But perhaps that is actually a reason that it doesn't quite get there is that, yeah, the, the poster and the, the marketing of it is all very kind of, Oh, this is one of these kind of hip indie rom conflicts. And actually it's not like that. It, there's a, there's a very, very different tone to it. Yes. And I, I, I kind of wish that the different tone was explored more and they, they dumped everything else and just went full on with this exploration of a real world issue. I would have loved that. I think that would have been a much better film. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's a it's a funny one. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily like recommend watching it, but if you if you're vaguely intrigued, why not? It's yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, if you've got nothing else um to do and it sounds like the kind of thing that you'd quite be interested in watching, then I I'd recommend um recommend giving it a watch. If you've seen all of Mark Wahlberg's films and you're like, what am I going to watch next? <laughs> If you finish watching The Happening and you thought, I need something better than The Happening to watch now. <laughs> yeah. If you've just watched The Nun and you need something lighthearted. <laughs> I still haven't seen The Nun. I need to I need to watch The Nun. I bet it's really good. 
I I bet it's better than people made it out to be. <laughs> a, lo- a lot of the time when people complain about horror movies, they're generally better than people made them out to be. So I reckon it's going to be fine. A solid six jump scares out of ten. <laughs> yeah, but I, I hope that everyone who is in this film goes on to big and bright things as i'm sure they they will it feels like they're obviously a lot of it's a very very young cast age appropriate and everything so fair enough to all of them i i wish them all the best um jessica barden who did the main role is english and she was in the um tv series the end of the fucking world which i have not seen but i have read the graphic novel which is very good so i intend to watch that at some point yeah i've heard really good things about that um but again i haven't watched it myself and yeah so i think I think everybody here's due a due a good future. Um, I mean, uh, Jessica Barden's, you know, been in some good stuff already. She's in The Lobster. She's in Penny Dreadful, which is a really good show. I want uh, to see The Lobster. Yeah, yeah, I want to watch it as well. I've still not seen that. Um, and and so I think you know, there's a really good young cast here, and I think this is this might be one of those movies where you go, oh, this has loads of people in it. Why don't we know yeah. more about this film? Yeah. Looking back in about five, ten years' time. And it's directed by our main man, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes, yeah, yeah. The Lobster, directed by him. And then he did Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is another film that I've always wanted to watch and never have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Need to have a little Yorgos uh, marathon. Yeah. Big boys don't Yorgos. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so do you have anything else to share about about the new romantic um, I don't think that I do actually. No, there's there's not that much to really sink our teeth into, other than to say, yeah, interesting to deal with the sugar baby topic, but didn't necessarily give us any huge points for deep discussion. But yeah, it it tried hard yes. to do something different, and that's to be applauded. Just falls a little bit flat and is kind of tonally a bit drab and a bit lethargic. Yes, yeah, exactly. Toga parties though. Toga parties. Toga. Toga, toga, toga. Toga. We had a toga party once, didn't we? We did, yeah. It was fun. Yeah, it was a good one. It was good. Yeah. yeah. I at the time I had just a moustache, which I've done a couple of times since, but not that really. And now I'm I'm going full beard and people are starting to notice. Which oh, is nice. You're going lumberjack. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In preparation for becoming a father, I'm just like, I'm going to grow as much hair as possible. <laughs> I mean, it, it is the fatherly thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. You need to um, you need to have a massive beard. You need to be able to. You, you, you always have to be in the position to be like, "Come sit on my knee, and I'll tell you a gripping yarn." <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm all about the yarns, <laughs> which I mean, I'm taking little bits of my beard and I'm going to knit tiny hats out of it. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Johnston's first tie made out of beard hair. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> You better be grateful for it as well. <laughs> so how do you, do you have anything else to add? No, no, that's it for me. That's it oh. for me. So how uh, how are we going to rate this? <sighs> that's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, how many mopeds out of 20 would oh, you yeah, be gifted she, by your sugar daddy? She gets gifted a quite cool moped, actually. I actually quite like it. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'd, I'd like a moped like that. Yeah, how many swanky mopeds? I... I will give it a nine, I think, out of 20. It's not just under halfway there for me because there's there's still a lot of stuff to like, good performances and stuff, but still, yeah, ultimately, uh, yeah, just slightly behind. 
What do you reckon? Yeah, so I was going to give it a nine as well, actually. Again, it's it's not quite Bon Jovi-ing it. Um, no. I like the fact that it talks about interesting subject matter, but it doesn't do it in as interesting a way as it should do. Um, and so for me, I felt it felt a bit like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's completely fair. So that's that's a nine. We're gi- given a nine. Yeah. So what are we going to be watching next? So, so up next, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? I'd like us to watch another movie set on a university campus um, with like romantic subplots that also talks about real world social issues. Um, so we are. So we're going to watch Animal House. So we're going to be watching Animal House. No, um, we will be watching the movie of Dear White People. Ah, okay. Interesting. I have not seen that. I hear good. Hear good things. Yes, yeah, I like it a lot, but I haven't watched it in a few years now. Um, so it will be interesting to rewatch it and see if it still resonates. That is a good choice. And another reason to explore the, the very, very important issue of free speech on campuses, which is being taken away and eroded. It is. All these people stopping us from saying horrible racial slurs on campuses. Yeah. Um it's our free speech being taken away why am i not being given a platform constantly and being paid to spout nonsense on university campuses this is surely an infringement of my free speech yeah it's really really important not that you know universities are charging exorbitant fees or that people are turning to sex work to pay their way through university or whatever it's really really important that we deal with the injustice of milo yiannopoulos not being invited to speak on campuses Yes, how dare they not invite idiots to speak on campuses? How dare they refuse to pay people to speak on campuses if they want to be paid to speak on campuses? Have you noticed how since he got kicked off of Twitter you just like don't hear about him? Well, he's he my favorite thing is when stuff about him still turns up on Twitter and it's generally he's doing really badly and it makes me laugh an awful lot. Yeah. Oh shit, he's been banned from Patreon as well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, he owes his book publisher thousands upon thousands of pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I know that we're, we're very much laughing at somebody's misfortune right now, but he's genuinely a horrible idiot. He's an, all, so he's an awful I little don't, fascist. I don't feel so bad about that away. at all. No. Um, he can, he can Google go him. Away. One of the top, top results is a video that's titled Milo Yiannopoulos Driven Out of Bar by Mob. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that we're watching films that deal with these very important issues. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, that was it. He made a gospel song about how no platforming hurts. I haven't dared to listen to it yet. Have you? <laughs> no, I have much better things to do with my time. Okay, well, maybe instead <laughs> of um, instead of watching a film, we could review that next time. Oh, no. <laughs> if you do that, I'm going to do my Breakaway podcast. What? All about how, um, even though I said that Fight Club is good, I said it wrong, and now and now you're angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Um, All I yeah. said was that the book was better than the film, and you you <laughs> love Chuck Palahniuk, isn't he? Like one of your favorite authors? Yeah, I really like Chuck Palahniuk, and um, I <laughs> did, did, I, did it, I say it wrong? How do you pronounce it? I, I think it's pronounced Chuck Palahniuk. I thought it was Palahniuk. I think that's how it's spelt, but then it's pronounced Paulanic. Ah, interesting. Anyway, never mind. Carry on. Um, tell me, tell me, I'm wrong. 
I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I, I disagreed with one and a half of the movies that you said were overrated. Um, because I don't think Fight Club is overrated. I think the issue. Oh with, no! I think the issue with Fight no. Club is that a lot of people who criticise it don't understand it, and then the other issue is a lot of the people who like it don't understand it. <laughs> um, which is quite an interesting take because no one really understands its point unless you actually pay attention to it. Well, it turns out you're right. It's pronounced Paulanic. Oh, there we go. And and yeah, and and older uh, your your other movie was Pulp Fiction. Which uh, which can get in the bin. Which I I think Pulp Fiction is a good film, but for a while it was being banded around as one of the best movies of all time. And no, it's not. It's not yeah. the best Tarantino movie. You've got Kill Bill, where people's heads get chopped off. Triple A rating for that. Great. Lots of people's heads being chopped off. Loads of blood. Lots of violence in a fun way. Love it. <laughs> That's um, what you like. I do. I love a good gore reaction movie, and Kill Bill is a, is a great example of it. Um, you've got Lucy Liu cutting people's heads off. It's brilliant. Um, and, and then you've got Inglorious Bastards, which is hilarious, really stylish, and it has them killing Hitler. What more can you want from a movie? So so those two are both much superior to um, to Pulp Fiction. Um, so I do agree maybe that Pulp Fiction's a bit overrated because it's not even the best Tarantino film. Um, so yeah, I'm just but, here for the killing Hitler part. Yeah, well, it's great. Uh, have you ever seen Inglorious Bastards? No, of course I haven't. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a I'm really never going to watch that. Shit. It's a really fun film, um, and and Tarantino's at his best when he's doing stupid fun, um, uh, and I wish he'd do more of that and less trying to make a point. Um, and and yeah, so so that was the only thing is is like a lot of a lot of movies get banded around as being overrated. And I think generally now they're pretty well rated. Like Fight Club is great. It's a really good film. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that Fight Club's overrated at all. I, I think the the original tweeter of that was very, very wrong. I don't think you hear that much about Fight Club anymore, but you do still hear a lot of praise for Tarantino. So, yes, I've never seen The Big Lebowski. That was the other one. Have you seen that? No, no, I've not seen it. Oh, maybe we should talk about that at some point. There we well. go. But we'll that has a re- a very, very different kind of cult status, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was a bizarre three choices to make for most overrated movie. Um, I, I saw someone post in the comments um, Titanic as the most overrated movie, and I can get by, <laughs> I can get behind that. You know, you think about how no, beloved no, nobody rates Titanic. Well, no, people still love no, it. It grossed loads at the box office, but it, who rates it? Lots of people rate it. Lots of people no. count it as one of the movies that makes them tear up the most. Nobody rates. They Titanic. do. This is fake news. They they <laughs> do. People do rate Titanic very very highly, um, and I'd say so. Yeah, that is a definite shout for the most overrated movie nah i've never heard anyone rate titanic ever you did not talk to enough people at university then people love titanic no i didn't talk to anyone at university what are you talking about (laughs) people people... i was i spoke to you and that was about it (laughs) (laughs) i was on the radio (laughs) you were too busy being locked in the i was talking to people but nobody was talking to me exactly exactly that was the problem Anyway, so so listeners, what's your most overrated movie? We want to know. What do you think is the most overrated film? Yes, definitely. Please. I know. Yeah, you're right. I found one saying Titanic. The story is bland. La La Land. Extremely boring. Twilight. The worst vampire movie. Yeah, all fair choices. Yeah, but even I though, think, as you know, I like La La Land. I, I think that's. Fair. I think La La Land is a very overrated movie, as we previously discussed. <laughs> 
um, Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> yeah, because everyone rates that. Everybody, everybody rates the Bridges of Madison County. Especially me. Especially you. Um, yeah. I'm just here for the covered bridges. <laughs> <laughs> and for Jeff Bridges. And for Jeff Bridges. <laughs> anyway, right. Any other business? Uh, no, I don't think so. We just had to address that that little bit of Twitter chat. But yeah, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us we're wrong, at Big Boys Don't Pod, we're there. We'll fight you. Yeah, why don't you tell me why Fight Club's overrated and then I can write an essay back at you about why it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the new romantic? Are you a sugar baby? Did it portray your life accurately? You know, this is the thing, the kind of thing we want to we hear about. What would you write about for your student newspaper if you wanted to win a $50,000 grant? Yeah. Have you ever dressed up as Hunter S. Thompson, the, father of, the godfather of gonzo journalism at a party? A Halloween party in April. If so, was anybody else dressed like you? Yeah. And did you then awkwardly make out with them? <laughs> if anybody has done that, please let us know. I'd love to know if this was based on real world events. Yeah, for sure. Oh, good good times. Right. Well, I don't know about you, but the Brit Awards are on the television. Um, I've already missed an hour of it from talking to you, so we should probably wrap this up. It's the most important televisual event of the year. I'm looking forward to finding out who wins who i've never heard of before and then never hearing about them again yep definitely let's see who have we got calvin harris little mix i quite like them um rag and bone man sam smith and george ezra did you understand any of those words i understood all of them i remember when the brit awards used to go to some random indie band that no one had heard of and then they disappear forever and then everyone be like, who's Arcade Fire? <laughs> um, I've heard of all of them, but that's about as exciting a lineup as the independent group, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's the independent group of music awards. <laughs> okay, though, legit, legit music recommendation here, though, for listeners before we go. Go and listen to the new Ladytron album. It's really good. I don't know I if have you listen to it yet. No, it, you sent a thing on the band WhatsApp. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, it's so good. It's like great synth pop, really great stuff. So go and listen to that. Don't listen to anybody involved in the Brit Awards. Go and listen to Lady Tron. They are British. They're from Liverpool. Go listen to them. They're great. Nice. Liverpool is good. Liverpool is good. Appreciate that. Cool. All right. Well, in that case, I, th- I think we're done here. So. Um, thanks a lot for listening as always really really appreciate you guys tuning in we are now almost coming up very very soon on 100 episodes so thanks for sticking with us on this journey really appreciate it a lot of lot of films that we've discussed so why not have a trawl through the back catalogue and find the ones you like you know if you haven't listened to them all there's a lot there's a lot of content there lots of hashtag content get on yeah. it that's what we are here for hashtag content but yeah, thanks very much for tuning in. We'll be back. We'll be back next week to talk about dear white people. Have you gone? You didn't say bye. Oh, it glitched out. I didn't realise. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. All I said was we'll be back next week to talk about dear white people, which is going to be your cue to say bye in a goofy voice. But now you've ruined it. Ah, uh, okay. Well, hold on. You can superimpose a bye and give me a few seconds. Wait, hold on. Okay. okay. Bye. Nice. That was that was almost like operatic. <laughs> there we In go. In fact, 
That that was like a new romantic would sing it. That, that was like is, Ad- that was like Spandau Ballet. That is it. that is a Spandau Ballet version, right? Okay, so yeah. I'll stop recording now. You can take that little, <laughs> you can take that little bye and superimpose it in where you need it. Nice, I'll do it. No, no, I'm going to keep it all in. Everything that's in the show is in the show. <laughs> no editing. Mm. Editing know is your problem. Editing keep is censorship. <laughs> <laughs> if you edit anything you're being censored by the SJWs that's how it yeah, is yeah yeah i'm being i'm being no platformed you know or you're being no platformed on your own podcast <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> oh good times good times <laughs>